It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we are continuing our Logistics with Purpose series here, powered by our dear friends over at Vector Global Logistics. On this series, we spotlight leaders and organizations that are on a noble mission, and really they're changing the world in one way, shape, or form. So stay tuned as we look to increase your supply chain leadership IQ. On a quick programming note, right before we get started here, if you enjoy today's conversation, be sure to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Want to welcome in my esteemed, fearless co-host on today's show, uh, Mr. Enrique Alvarez, Managing Director with Vector Global Logistics. Enrique, how you doing? Hey, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Um, as always, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I uh, really appreciate your support and spotlighting these organizations that are all on on these uh, vital missions, and, uh, and and lately it's been great to kind of get caught up and, and get some of these stories out. It, uh, with everybody's crazy schedules, it's uh, it's always challenging to get uh, movers and shakers' schedules to align, right? No, I totally agree, but I think that I'm really looking forward to, to this episode. It's going to be definitely going to be fun and interesting, and I'm just really happy to have Lauren here with us as well. Agreed. Absolutely. Looking forward to learning a lot more. So on that note, let's welcome in our featured guest here today on Supply Chain Now, Lauren Nose, Senior Director of Corporate Sales with Hungry, which is a very unique Virginia-based food tech startup that's making a huge impact in the industry. Lauren, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Scott. Hi, Enrique. How's everyone doing? Doing fantastic. As Enrique said, uh, not only do we love this series, but we love stories like like what I, I believe we're going to hear from you and, and what your organization's up to. And on top of it all, it's a beautiful April day in Georgia. It's, it's gorgeous outside, which given all the other elements of the, the, the current environment we're all uh, breaking through, that's a good thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's so nice to see the sun. Storms are done. So, yeah, it's been great weather today. You bet. All right, so Enrique, we're going to dive right in. So Lauren, uh, before we start talking more about uh, Hungry, let's let's start with getting to know you a little bit better. So tell us about you know, where you're from and, and give us a, a story or two about, uh, from your upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, kind of Midwest born and bred. So I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, okay. I lived there till I was about nine. We moved to, my dad got transferred. He was in, um, you know, consumer packaged goods, still is. Um, so he, we moved up to Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, the suburbs there. So that's where I went to high school and uh, kind of that's where home was for a long time. And then, you know, I ventured to Chicago. So I went mm. to college at Loyola University in Chicago, uh, which was not really known for much up until, you know, our basketball team. Uh, last year, which was really, mm. really cool to see, but um, almost made it, not quite. Well, but, well, uh, so I was. <laughs> what's the mascot <laughs> at Loyola? Uh, it's the Rambler, actually. Rambler. Yeah, so it's a wolf. 
Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you with that, with the sports environment right now, uh, it, it's interesting how quickly your memory fades. So the Loyola Ramblers, right? Yep. 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 And I mean, when I was in Loyola or when I was, you know, attending Loyola, I would say that sports were not really the highlight. I was also not very focused on sports at the mm. time. So um, I would probably the most that I watched Loyola basketball, sadly, <laughs> is uh, when they were in the final four last year. So awesome. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, I got it. I got to tell you, from St. Louis to Minneapolis to Chicago, three of, of of the really coolest cities in the country, certainly in the Midwest. That what a wonderful um, early journey in in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I still, you know, I get back to all of them. Um, you know, my extended family is from St. Louis, so we go there every year uh, for Thanksgiving. We go to the City Museum. We eat those pizza, kind of like the quintessential St. Louis things. My brother's still in Minneapolis and Chicago's really kind of, you know, I was there for about 11 years in Chicago. Mm. It's, you know, where I really started my career. Um, you know, I started there in beer sales. I worked for a beer distributor right in downtown Chicago in the West Loop, mm. which was really kind of up and coming at the time. Um, now it's blown up. It's amazing. Um, but you know, I started there, and, you know, Chicago really feels mostly like home because I've bopped around a little bit. But, um, yeah, so I started let, in beer sales in Chicago and kind of worked my way up there. And then Let me ask you real quick, to, Lauren, before, before yeah. we uh, talk about your professional journey, because I know Enrique's got an interesting question, one more question about your um, uh, St. Louis in particular. Uh, yeah. Having I spent a couple of years in Wichita and made some of the drives back and forth, believe it or not, from East Coast to Kansas, and driving through St. Louis when the arch first appears, it is absolutely captivating. I think it's one of my favorite, um, you know, certainly American landmarks. Is that uh, is that part of your ventures back each year, or does that kind of get old once you've been there for a while? No, I mean I moved when I was nine, so you know it's funny because I, you know, I remember all the family and everything living there, but I don't remember as much about like actually living there but it mm. still is such a part of me so every time you know when I was living in Chicago it was only a five-hour drive from St. Louis so you know we would drive back and my now husband would come with me and I'd be like wait just wait for it wait for it and you know you round the corner and you see the arch and <laughs> it's awesome it's I, I always tell him you know my fun fact I'm like you know it's as tall as it is wide right and he's like <laughs> I know. Like, okay. Mind blown. Mind blown. Yeah, All right. Okay. One more really important question. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chicago and St. Louis have a a lot in common, a lot in contrast, but their yeah. baseball teams have a heated <laughs> rivalry. So are yeah. you a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan or neither? So by birthright, I'm a Cardinals fan, but my, you know, paycheck for a long time working for a beer distributor in uh, the city of Chicago depended on the Cubs success so it was always kind <laughs> of a you know kind of a push and pull there a little bit but you know mm, that's I good probably I lean a little bit more more Cardinals gotcha that push and pull is a healthy dynamic all right so Enrique so. let's bring you in to the conversation I know you've got a, a question or two about the professional journey that that Lauren has already kind of alluded to a little bit Yes, no, I mean, you already started talking a little bit about your early 
years in Chicago and then working for this beer distributor. But how, what other kind of uh, roles have you uh, have you kind of uh, had, and and how did you end up with uh, with Hungry Now? What was a little bit of your professional journey prior to what you currently have? What that, that basically led you away from Chicago, clearly here into Atlanta, and with this very exciting uh, tech startup, tech food startup, as Scott described it at the beginning. Yeah, so um, like I said, I started like fresh out of college. I started as a on-premise um, sales rep for, you know, bars and restaurants on-premise, meaning, you know, consuming on, on site. So uh, bars and restaurants were my clients, uh, trying to get them to buy in on, you know, beers ranging from Budweiser and Bud Light up to like very expensive craft beers and so I really kind of found a passion in that learning about things I didn't know there wasn't a ton of women in the beer industry so that was really interesting to me to try and um, you know just become more of a um, more knowledgeable in in a role that um, I didn't know as much about so I studied a lot and uh, made really good relationships and really kind of found my my niche there and so I moved up um, with the company I was at there and um, became a key account manager, managing kind of some of the best um, bars and restaurants there, really kind of holding the hand of those relationships and fostering growth there. Um, and then I eventually became a brand manager. So working on the marketing side, working directly with the breweries. Um, I had about a 13, I think, by the time I left. The company uh, went through an acquisition. I stayed for about a year and a half. and. The funny thing was one of the last projects I actually worked on at the wholesaler uh, was launching Sweetwater uh, from Atlanta. So they wow. were entering the Chicago market. That was like my project. I worked on it for a long time. And wow. I, my last week was the week that Sweetwater launched in Chicago. So that was um, pretty exciting and pretty fun. But I, you know, I was just kind of ready for a change. It's so cold in Chicago. And so I told my now husband, I was like, I'm moving. I'm going somewhere warmer. And you come with me or you can stay. And he was like, I'm obviously coming with you. So, well, Lauren, you know, right now, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir. And I think I've got the number right. It could be off. But a beverage sales, I think, have spiked uh, or, or demand has risen 240%, I believe. And I think that's a March figure. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. do you, you still have a lot of colleagues in the industry that are having banner years? Well, um, Yes and no. So my friends in kind of the more um, domestic beer, like domestic beers really on the rise. A lot of where I spent my time was really in like a, a pretty niche kind of craft world um, where there's more and more microbreweries and breweries opening every day. I think a lot of those sadly are probably going to not survive this. Really? Um, a lot of that demand is focused on, you know, scarcity and rarity and new, you know, new beers coming out and without people really being able to shop and go see their local brewery and mm. spend the time and really invested there. People, when they're going to the, you know, the stores now, they're just kind of shopping what they know. Mm. Um, so a lot of like really awesome breweries and really like mid-sized great breweries too are just struggling a little bit, but like beverage sales are up. Beers, Beer's been struggling for a little bit. The rise of like hard seltzer and that kind of mm. stuff hasn't been great for it. They are delicious drinks. I like a I like a hard seltzer myself. Mm. Um, but it's you know it's 
it's the market shaking out a little bit. So, right. you know, we'll just kind of see where it goes. Mm. Had no idea. Uh, that's interesting. I know, yeah. <laughs> so not that uh, you, you were just about to talk about your um, venture to somewhere warmer and bringing your husband along. So, so tell us more about that. Yeah. So we, I actually got poached by one of the brands that I was managing in Chicago. So it was an importer that handled uh, about like 13 breweries ranging from really small microbreweries um, and really tiny breweries in Belgium and kind of all over uh, the place. So I moved to Charleston with my husband and uh, was managing nine states in the southeast. And we were there for just over a year. He's actually in the beer world as well. He worked for um, another brewery. So he was managing a couple states down there as well. It was just a little, it was a little bit of a, a low lifestyle in Charleston. We're, we're still mm. used to kind of that Chicago lifestyle. So uh, we were both really easily able to move from Charleston to Atlanta with our jobs because we covered, you know, larger territories and, so we hopped over, and we've been here about four years now, and we love it. Um, we settled into East Lake, and then, uh, you know, on the east side of the city, and we've loved it. Um, and then I would say, so I was with the importer about two years and loved them, but then was actually poached by one of the brands within that portfolio to be their first national sales manager. So I was the national sales manager for close to a year and a half um, for a brewery located in Louisville, Kentucky, and I just kind of commuted. So I was, you know, traveling all over the country, even the world, kind of going to manage uh, the distribution channels, managing the wholesalers, um, helping sales reps, helping, you know, on the marketing side as well a little bit. Um, and the travel was just a lot. So I started thinking about, you know, maybe if I could find somewhere a little bit, you know, stay a little closer to home, not traveling three-ish hmm. weeks a year. So, I mean, honestly, it was such a quick, I, I really kind of updated my resume, updated my LinkedIn, and someone from Hungary reached out to me within, you know, 24 hours, I would wow. say. It was pretty, yeah, it was, it was almost too quick. I was like, hmm. did I even say this out loud yet? <laughs> um, I just got so excited about it. It was like, mm. it was such an amazing opportunity. They were starting, they had just gotten their um, Series A funding. So, and we had gotten some really amazing investors. And with mm. that, we were going to open the third city being Atlanta. So this was right about this time last year, maybe, you know, a couple weeks ago last year, we started talking and, you know, they said, Usher's invested, Jay-Z um, started a venture capital firm. Hungary was their first investment, which was super exciting. Tom mm. Policchio from Top Chefs invested. Right. It was really all these like unbelievable kind of powerhouses in food and entertainment. And I'd always been a foodie and food was a huge <laughs> part of who I am, you know, so. So a like, lot of successful people saw the opportunity yeah, and rallied behind exactly. what Hungary was doing. Uh, and, and we'll learn more about that. But for starters, if you could, and Enrique, uh, uh, I'm I'm so glad. I, I think you're a very very familiar with the, the Hungary organization, their mission. I'm looking forward to, to informing the rest of our audience uh, about what Hungary is doing. But but Lauren, tell us what is at the core of what Hungary does. 
So we really are a purpose-driven company. So, uh, you know, the company is one that was originally designed for corporate catering, um, doing essentially for chefs what Uber did for drivers. So finding amazing local chefs, not restaurant chefs, but amazing local chefs cooking out of like these almost like we were commercial kitchens throughout the city. Um, and they're, you know, James Beard winners. They are, um, you know, they've won local contests. We have season 12 of Top Chef, um, the winner of the next, or not Top Chef, I'm sorry, the next Food Network star, Chef Turgay, like really amazing local chefs, mm. uh, kind of in every hungry city that are able, what we would do is partner them with um, corporate clients. So we would go handle all the sales, marketing, everything. The chef really gets to do what they love. So they're in the kitchen, they're cooking the food that their grandmother taught them, you know, the, the food that they were raised or they went to Le Cordon Bleu or, you know, wherever they may have gotten their, you know, sunk their teeth in and really, you know, started their career and their love of cooking. And we let them focus on that. And we handle everything else, you know, from the logistics. It's a really big part of corporate catering. It's one of the main pain points is delivery, you know. So, so we're able to provide amazing food for corporate clients with um, really amazing delivery. And then we also have, like, a big sustainability um sustainability focus as well as a give back focus as well. So, you know, so, for our corporate clients, for every two meals they would order, just, you know, for weekly lunch or meetings or whatever, we would donate one back through a partnership with Feeding America. Love that. So let's, um, so I want to circle back to the logistics that yeah. is part of Hungry. But before I do, Enrique, um, I've got a hunch of what your answer will be, but I love when Lauren said how much of a purpose-driven company that Hungry is. I bet we both admire that. But what else, from your interactions thus far with Hungry, what else do you admire about their operation? Well, they uh, they really run a tight ship, and I I have gotten the opportunity, given that they're neighbors here at King Cloud, to get to know them uh, personally and uh, and get to know their Atlanta team and staff at least personally. And they have a really good team. They're they're really People, so they're purpose-driven, as Lauren was saying, but they also like people-driven. Like, they're just good people, good values, laid back, straightforward, honest, hardworking. I mean, you see them here very late. I'm sure Scott has probably seen them as well. Uh, they come here on Sundays and Sundays, and I, I just, yeah, I think uh, that's a really good corporate culture that's focused on really making the world a better place, and at the same time, people that are working for them from where I can tell as a client and someone that kind of witnesses some of what they do. They're having fun. They're they have a good culture. Uh, we are we're blessed having them as neighbors because when they have the tastings and things like that, we get uh, the invite for, for trying some of this amazing food and, and they seem to be a really good group of people. Love that. Um, all right, so let's shift gears, Lauren. I, I want to definitely touch on a couple things you shared. Talk more about the logistics behind the operation. I want to talk logistics and then sustainability and then give back. Those are three elements that you touched on a minute ago. When you think of logistics behind the operation and how how big of an operation that is, tell uh, tell more. Uh, tell, yeah. uh, tell us more. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we have um, 
really a proprietary kind of logistics platform. So like I was saying, one of the main pain points um, that our clients always had is, you know, these meetings, a lot of our clients, the people that we are in contact with day in, day out are, you know, administrative assistants, executive assistants, reception, um, people who are kind of tasked with ordering food for the office, which can sound fun and glamorous, and then, you know, quickly you realize it's absolutely not. So um, in terms of just logistics and making our clients' lives easier and helping them, um, you know, when they place an order, if they say, uh, we want, like, you know, why don't you show up at 11.30 on Wednesday for our lunch? We say, what time are you eating? We work off of a food ready to eat by time. So they tell us 11, or, you know, well, the meeting starts at noon. Okay, so we back out from there. We factor in time for our catering captains, um, now our delivery captains, but our catering captains who are food safety trained, um, really take pride in their work. They're clean, they're, you know, they're always wearing their aprons, their hats, or they take pride in their appearance. They're, you know, they're very professional. They check in at our office. They go to the chef kitchen directly. They have hot boxes, uh, cold bags, whatever they need. They count pans. So it's, okay, I'm supposed to have 12 half pans of chicken. Check. Oh, there's only 11 pans of rice. There was supposed to be 13. Hold tight. They call. You know, there's a lot of, like, a system of checks and balances to prevent kind of all of the, all of the pain points that happen. Right. Food getting missed, food being late. And we factor in traffic patterns. We use, you know, um, logistics with routing to make sure we have time to get to the client's place. And maybe they get their own time, but this client's elevator takes 20 minutes sometimes. So really factoring in the time it takes to get up to the client in, they set everything up. They lay a nice red runner down. They, you know, think about the flow of the food. So, you know, it starts with a salad first and then it starts, you know, then it goes, your proteins at the end, it starts with the rice. So, it, you know, everything's really been thought out. They set it all up. There's food labels that um, indicate if there is gluten-free, contains gluten, contains any of the major allergens, um, or if it's dairy-free or vegan, really it, it spells it out. It's very clear and concise for anyone going through the line can see what they can and cannot have. Um, so they set that all up. Even our little like packs are at the end, our little cutlery packs that have a napkin, a, uh, a fork, knife, and spoon. Our plates are, you know, you said we'll speak on the sustainability factor. All of that's provided. And then complimentary, our catering captains will come back an hour after um, our client is done eating. They'll bring to-go boxes. They'll box up any leftovers for them. They'll clean everything up and get out of their hair. They take the garbage with them even, you know. So really trying to manage that process start to finish and taking a lot of ownership of it because that's where a lot of our competitors fall short. They just mm. don't, they don't pretend to have any part of the, right. like, ownership of the process. You know, if another, you know, competitors late, it's like, oh, that was the restaurant's fault, or that right. was, well, it's a third-party delivery service. So mm. really trying to control um, all Shoot the, the points that, yeah, exactly. 
Mm-hmm. And, it's, and the I mean, experience. One of the things that Lauren touched on uh, is something we've used them many times, and just you don't have to do anything, right? And and, and as she was saying, like just ordering food for everyone at the office could be challenging, but just after that, then you have to clean and take out the trash and pick up some of the empty plates. And so one of the benefits, I think, it's just just incredible how uh, efficient they, they work and then uh, everything's taken care of at the end of each meal. So there's really no sign that they were even there. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's talk about the give back. Uh, yeah. You mentioned two meals with your big corporate clients. One meal gets donated back. That is, that, that's, that's huge. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah, so that's uh, a partnership that we started, you know, really early on with our relationship. You know, our, our owners are kind of serial entrepreneurs and really wanted, when they were starting hungry, they really wanted to make sure it was that purpose-driven company. They wanted to better the lives of everyone we touch. And that being, a big part of that being our community. So, you know, they knew that they wanted to grow this business. How do we do that? Do we, you know, do relationships in each city? How should this best work? And really they found um, they were able to strike a partnership with Feeding America, um, who's been so, with the COVID-19, all of that, Feeding America has really been instrumental in helping, you know, feed the masses and everything. So it feels nice to know that our company is, you know, still continuing that give back program with them. So, yeah, like I said, for every two meals that a client orders from us, we donate one back through that partnership with Feeding America. Love that. Uh, that, that. That is such a, uh, a meaningful, practical give back, right? And, and, and uh, I can only imagine the impact you're having with that. Um, one of the element before we move on kind of and, and go a little more global in the, the discussion is you mentioned a commitment to sustainability. Uh, give mm-hmm. us an example or two of that. Yeah, so really trying to um, take every step we can to minimize our carbon footprint where we're able to. So all of the cutlery packs um, that we use, they come in little, it looks like little plastic packs that say hungry on it with a, it looks like a little plastic spoon, knife, fork, but they're actually all um, biodegradable, even the, the like cellophane-ish wrapping. I believe they're all potato-based now. So really taking that extra step, it's not, you know, it's not the cheaper route. We could have gone that, but we really wanted to make sure we're doing our part. We know that, like, with food delivery, it can be so wasteful. It's all the, you know, the styrofoam and all this stuff that gets used once and then goes directly to a landfill. Um, so that, even our, um, the bowls or the plates or whatever the, you know, the format for where you're building your meal, um, that is all compostable as well and biodegradable. And then um, when our captains come back, you know, it's a really nice feature that we call it the VIP cleanup service. When they come and they do the cleanup um, for our clients, but they're able then to recycle the racks, recycle the pans, and uh, really take that extra step as well. Because, you know, the easier thing for any client to do, it's, it's messy, it's soupy, there's sauces and they don't want to deal with like rinsing it out and recycling it it's i mean the easiest thing to do is to try not to spill it and just get it to the trash as fast yes as possible, so uh, and i love i'm a still your um your adjective soupy 
Uh, that, yes. That's a good one I'm going to add to my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. and I'll tell you, on that note, uh, one of my most hum uh, humbling uh, career stops was a busser for a seafood restaurant. So oh. I'm very familiar with the cleanup on that side of things. So, yep. um, all right. So Enrique, I want to bring you back in. Uh, I know from here we kind of want to get Lauren to weigh in on on uh, the global view of things happening. Um, a lot of folks don't. I think all of us, myself certainly included, have a gap uh, oftentimes with how companies that are in food or in uh, hospitality or in the beverage industry, you know, that there's a logistics and a supply chain operation behind that. I think that's uh, sometimes we lose sight of that. But Enrique, let, let's talk with Lauren about uh, the global industry here. Yes, no, and uh, the question for you, Lauren, is uh, you described your operation perfectly and, and you guys have been doing it and it's been tested and everyone, uh, your company's smart, but then all of a sudden this coronavirus hit everyone and you basically had to shut down and reinvent yourselves in a couple of weeks. How, how do you, I mean, how do you go and you and your team and uh, everyone at Hungry, how do you guys reinvent yourselves uh, as quickly as you can to make sure that you continue not only sustaining your purpose and your cause, but then also just keeping the company afloat and even growing it if possible? How, what kind of, I guess, what kind of suggestions or advice or, or just the mindset that you guys had to have to to um, react so quickly and, and so successfully? What, what can you tell us and, and tell Scott's listeners uh, about that? Yeah, so, I mean, essentially our company overnight, once everyone, you know, left the offices, which was pretty much the end or middle of March, our business went, you know, we lost our 95% of our revenue almost overnight. You know, all of our business, for the most part, was corporate clientele in offices. So from anything from small meetings for eight up to, you know, weekly staff lunches for 400. You know, that was really what we did. We never really, you know, it was always very like uh, B2B, never really like business to consumer. It was something that we had tried really quickly, like right at the beginning of Hungry before, you know, my time, but it wasn't something that um, the company decided was the best kind of focus for us, but really, so we closed our second round of funding, um, but the first week in March, right before all of this happened, so we got some really amazing new investors, um, but we got some, you know, a little bit of money, so we weren't stressed out, it wasn't, you know, we didn't have like that panic of all of our revenues gone, we have to shut our doors because we saw that happen pretty quickly with a lot of our uh, competitors and really it was just keep calling your clients, keep maintaining that relationship. We've got something we're working on and within honestly three days we started hearing about like little teasers from our company like hungry at home and all of a sudden, you know, five days later, we're calling our those same clients and saying, we know your team's at home now, and, like, we're now providing meals directly to your door. Um, you know, it started as, like, a subscription plan, but you can sign up, you know, for weekly or just one time or whatever, but we really made the change to change the portions from corporate style, change really the, you know, the offerings as well. So we worked with our chefs to try and keep them in the kitchen. The last thing we wanted was, you know, everyone, you know, the jobless rate starts going through the roof and we wanted to do whatever we could to try and keep our chefs in the kitchen, keep our, uh, we're now 
calling them because they're not really catering captains anymore. There are delivery captains. Um, keep them working with a purpose and, you know, keep our team, you know, we have teams now, we're in six cities. So the last thing we wanted to do was just kind of like close the doors and wait it out because I think it's going to be a very different, you know, going to be a very different scene when we all come back to it. I think everyone's going to, you know, be back soon-ish. Um, but it's, you know, what that's going to look like, I think we don't, we don't know as of yet. So um, really it's, it's been so inspiring to see the leaders of our company put their heads together and really like get behind a new idea and launch it within like four days. I mean, really like our minds were blown. We had our tech team who's all in house. Our tech team was working around the clock to get a website that consumers could go um, you know, and start subscribing themselves or setting up their own meal plans within seven days, which is just unheard of, but it's been so exciting to watch the change. It's a completely different model. We're now going directly to consumers. So, you know, we're still reaching out to those same clients, but a lot of our clients are furloughed or, you know, they're not, they're not in the office anymore, but we're saying, you know, we know you still have to eat. Like, we have offerings for your family now. So it started and we we're just doing kind of portions of um, eight plus. And, you know, you have free delivery. If you sign up for the subscription, you can do once a week, twice a week, three times a week. You can do every other week. Um, or we're now offering, you know, meals for four starting at $50 with a $5 delivery, which is really like unheard of. Like we order you know, Indian food here, and I swear it's $85 for me and my husband. We're like, what did we get? Not that much. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't We didn't want to do, it's not our way to do the, like, hidden delivery fees and the surcharges and all of that. We really wanted to, like, give people a really easy way to order delicious food. Like, a lot of the people at home still have that full-time job, and the kids are home, and, you know, they, they're – they're strapped for time, they're, you know, and I don't have children myself, but from what I understand, you have to feed them almost every day. And, you know, <laughs> every hour sometimes. Almost every day, almost every <laughs> yeah, day. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes even three times a day. Oh, my goodness. That's so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lauren. So, um, Lauren, I had a quick follow-up question on that. Um, you mentioned about the leadership of the company, and, and that's a reflection of the culture you have, and, and it's very, very clear if you if, if anyone ever works with you and, and, and your team. What, what makes a good team, in your opinion? I mean, you could give us a little more about what, what makes a good team like yours kind of go through this challenge uh, gracefully even, because uh, it's a hard thing to do, and you have so many different questions and unknowns at every different level what you guys did before. How, what, what do you need to kind of pull that off? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had the secret sauce. I think we just, you know, I think we've been lucky that we've been able to bring in good people. Like, it's very important to us that, you know, just the, the people feel right. And you need to be able to adapt quickly because we're very, like, even before Hungry at Home, our company was moving and innovating and, you know, the wheels are never stopping. We're always trying to, you know, reach the next milestone or, you know, better ourselves and pivot and really be adaptable to the market's needs and, um, you know, really kind of like focus on just having a really good attitude about it. 
Um, and if you're, you know, it's not for everyone. Startup lifestyle, it's, you know, it's stressful and, you know, the the direction can change overnight. You just have to be like, you know what, that's awesome and this, this is the way we're going now. And, you know, our company is not afraid to try something and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we're going to find something else. But they're, you know, they're not afraid to fail at something because they know that that's how, that's how, you know, new ideas come and really you got to try new things. But we have really, really brilliant, uh, you know, leadership with us. Um, you know, we have Shai and Iman Pavlani, who are brothers. Uh, Shai had kind of the tech operation. Iman does a lot of the marketing. And then Jeff Brass, um, he is our COO and, you know, handles kind of the finance. But, I mean, they're all so accessible. You can pick up your phone and call them when you have questions. And they're so insightful. And they, they just care so much that it makes it, you would feel silly if you didn't almost. Mm. You know, you really just you're so inspired by them and their leadership that you just really want to do your best. Yes. But man, what a, what a, um, empowering and, uh, compelling culture you're describing. Uh, I, w I want to go back on the front of this conversation. You were talking about some of the investors and, and, uh, I could be wrong, but I noticed in a press release earlier today or maybe yesterday that Ming Tsai, which, is like old school Food Network. You mentioned the Food mm -hmm. Network star, which is kind of current day, but back in the day with two hot tamales and Emerald and Ming Tsai and, and a few yeah. other folks, um, he's like Food Network uh, old school. And clearly yeah, he, he sees the opportunity. Royalty. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yep. So what a, I mean, y'all have got one heck of an all-star uh, investment lineup behind it. We really do. I mean, we have, you know, one of the, uh, I mean, just our, our board is stacked um, with really brilliant minds, and I think that's all, it's all our leadership. It's Jeff and Shai and Aman, it's their vision is so compelling, and when you hear them talk about it, like, you just want to be a part of it. So it really, it, it's just their, because they're going to do, you, you know that, like, giving them your money and giving them your trust and, like, investing in, their business it's not going to fail because they won't let it so it really like just kind of comes down to that but yeah we have amazing Ming Tsai um Todd Gurley who is coming to the Falcon yeah, he right. is yeah uh Kevin Hart um I'm really I'm not great with all of this <laughs> well you know Lauren one of the one of the other cool things at play here with this conversation and and how you're approaching the conversation which is so great for the supply chain industry and logistics and transportation is it it, it shows different applications you know folks that may not be foodies they may not be chefs they may not uh, other roles within organizations like hungry may not appeal to them however the logistics side of the house that, that helps power what you do and the impact you're making, it, it really shows different applications of, of supply chain management. And that's where those are the common threads that I really love as part of this series. Enrique, weigh in on that. Well, well on the um, type of, uh, you need, and, and Lauren mentioned it, right? I mean, I think uh, I totally agree with what she said about like not being afraid of uh, making mistakes. I think that's key and something that she really touched on. The other thing is just having different people, right, as part of your team. I mean, you always have like the same kind of vision and the same kind of 
mentality and uh, you need diversity. You need people that are looking at these challenges from different angles, mm. with different backgrounds, with different nationalities even. Uh, and I think that's what's, uh, what's driving their success. And I'm sure that uh, if they did something that most companies would, would take, I mean, changing from a B2B to a B2C in five days, I mean, most companies would probably take four, five, six months. Mm. Uh, I think the uh, that's a really, really good uh good proof of, of what they have built and I'm sure they'll continue to be successful as this as this kind of plays out hopefully soon all right um, well Lauren love what you do clearly um, with hungry reaching out to you so quickly I think you said within 24 hours clearly hungry has an appetite for top talent uh, there's <laughs> sorry I had to um, I, I imagine y'all are adding a bunch of talent to help fuel your growth is that accurate yeah, I mean, the plan before kind of all of this started was to launch six more cities so far this year. Uh, we've done two so far. So we, you know, started in Austin to Dallas. Um, and the plan, you know, was to do four more cities and then 12 next year. Um, and I think, you know, 20 the year after that really kind of blowing Hungry up and putting it in every market. And, you know, that's what we hear a lot from our clients too it's like we have an office in chicago are you guys in chicago yet like nope not yet but we're coming we're coming soon so it's really you know we're just trying to add people and the company has always been very it's it's been really wonderful to watch if we find someone who we think is right for the team even if we don't necessarily need that position filled at that time we bring them in because we know that we're better with them than without them and we don't want them getting snatched up by our competition love that okay so how can our listeners connect not only connect with you but also learn more about hungry yeah absolutely so um if you go to home dot try hungry t-r-y-h-u-n-g-r-y dot com um you can try out hungry at home so you know there is i think it's a 4.99 delivery fee we are in uh starting with meals for families of four at 50 dollars, which are delicious chef driven meals um i know enrique has gotten a couple of them i get them every week to my house um I'm obsessed and you know it really is just like our chef means so much to us and really you can taste that in all of their food so I encourage everyone listening to sign up give it a try um, another cool thing that I hope I can just sneak in here too sure. um, is we have partnered with a 501c3 charitable organization called pivotal moments and they are an amazing organization that really champions mental wellness. Um, but what they have done is they wanted to be able to provide, uh, you know, their donors and anyone looking, um, provide an easy way to feed frontline or first responders, you know, doctors, nurses, the people on the front lines of this, you know, pandemic crisis that, you know, is happening all over. So, um, if anyone wants to make a donation, you can find a link on our website on home.tryhungry.com to Pivotal Moments. You can pick the city um, that you want to 
support, you know, any of the cities that we are located in, you can get, you know, it's a tax write-off because it's a charitable organization. And then 100% of that money goes to feeding doctors, nurses, first responders, and families at the front line. So, uh, you know, our Atlanta team, just the Hungry Atlanta office, we ourselves raised over, um, I think, $2,300. Um, and so we are, we've already started sending meals. We sent, I think, 75 box lunches to um, the Northwest Georgia Women's Center, I believe, okay. yesterday. We've been sending meals to Emory, to Northside Hospital. Um, it's, been, it's been really amazing. Mm. Outstanding. Love that. So to our listeners, home.tryhungry.com is one Correct. avenue to, to, to actually you know, take Lauren up on a free trial on, on a on a trial and then in general I think the general URL is tryhungry.com and right. clearly I love the you know the give back in general is important but the, the local give back uh, of what you are doing here in the metro Atlanta area is really uh, really cool so I really appreciate you taking some time as busy as, as y'all are uh, to come out and, and share the hungry story with us yeah thank you so much for having us you bet and we will have to have you back on as we break through uh, this current environment and, and, and get into uh, that new normal that you referenced, Lauren, and, and, uh, and hopefully go from there to, to keep building the organization. Uh, Lauren Nose, Senior Director of Corporate Sales with Hungry, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott. All right, so we're going to wrap up here with Enrique Alvarez with Vector Global Logistics. Enrique. Uh, I love getting updates, just like Lauren shared with us, the different initiatives they're part of, the different ways they're finding um, uh, to not only grow the organization and keep the organization stable throughout these, these unique times, but also keep giving back and, and delivering on that purpose-filled mission. So um, tell us, give us an update or two about some of the things that Vector's up to. Yeah, no, and um, one of the updates are um, we we partner with Love Beyond Walls to help the homeless and try to provide them with masks and other PPE uh, equipment, but it's starting with masks. And so, uh, in terms of the updates uh, tomorrow, it's scheduled that our that our first order of masks will arrive here at King Plow. And one of the things and exciting things that we're talking about also with Lauren and her team is to see if we can somehow. Uh, work together to to use some of the deliveries that they're having to uh, frontline workers and hospitals and nurses and doctors so we can deliver their delicious uh, try hungry food but then also maybe bring a couple of masks along the way so that's something that I'm really excited about it's uh, something that we've been trying to do for for a couple of weeks now and so this week we'll start kind of more officially launching those two programs Love that. Okay. And how can folks connect with you and the Vector team? Yeah, no, if they want to reach out to me directly, you can uh, easily send me an email at enrique.alvarez at vectorgl.com. And uh, otherwise, you guys can also visit us on our webpage at vectorgl.com. Outstanding. Great conversation here today with Lauren Nose with Hungry and Enrique Alvarez with Vector Global Logistics. Enrique, thanks so much. No, thank you, guys. Thank you, Lauren. So to our listeners, uh, be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnowradio.com. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. want to echo Enrique's sentiment. Really appreciate Big thanks to Lauren Nose with Hungry joining us. Big thanks to Enrique Alvarez and the Vector team 
for continuing to power the Logistics with Purpose series here on Supply Chain Now. On behalf of our entire team, Scott Luton wishing you a successful week ahead. Stay safe. Know this, brighter days certainly lie ahead, and we will see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.